everyone, it's Ruthie McBride and I'm back with another episode of Out to Brunch. Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm so happy you guys are listening and thank you so much for the amazing positive response on my first episode. I really appreciate it. I do the whole podcast myself like recording, editing, uploading, everything. So It was really amazing to have that feedback and just feel good about what I'm doing. I feel like we always feel really good when people appreciate the work that we do, whether it's like for fun, how my podcast is, or like as a job or school, etc. So I was really happy just to get that response and know that I'm benefiting people's lives and hopefully, you know, making your mood and your day a little better. I hope it doesn't get worse from this. That would, that's not my intention, like, you know, um, but yeah, I am so happy that you guys are enjoying this podcast. In today's episode, I'm just going to give a little book update, a little low buy update, and then I really wanted to talk about the importance of reproductive rights and a focus on maternal mortality rates in America because I feel like that has a lot to do with just, you know, racism in America and how it affects black women and then also women of color in comparison to white women giving birth, but also kind of how fucked up the reproductive health system is and how poorly women are taken care of. I really want to focus on self-advocating. I feel like as women, we aren't really taught to advocate for ourselves in the same way that men are. And of course, this comes at very different intersections dependent of race, gender, social class, etc. But I feel like in general, we're not really taught how to advocate for ourselves or we're taught in ways that are very discreet that don't really get across the message we want. So I just wanted to touch on that today. But yeah, right now I am in my room as per usual recording. I'm drinking water and an iced latte. But the funny thing about this iced latte is that my mom got these straws from like the Dollar Tree that have unicorns attached to them like a rainbow unicorn sticker attached to the straw so i'm sitting here sipping my ice latte out of a straw with a unicorn on it um so that's entertaining at least for me but (laughs) yeah something something to think about Alrighty, so i want to get into the books that i've read in the past week and what i've thought about them. So I started and finished Writers and Lovers by Lily King. I really liked it. I thought the writing was really beautiful. The plot took a bit to get into. I felt like I needed to get like 70 pages in before I was like, okay, like I kind of get the gist of like what this book is going to be about. But the title is pretty self-explanatory of the book. Um, It's definitely about a writer and it's definitely about her lovers, but also like her other lovers tend to be writers as well. Um, And it kind of just shows her growing through different relationships, but also 
being a little, a little stunted at times. Um, not necessarily from the relationships, but from her work life and just having, you know, past trauma. So I thought it was very interesting and very realistic, which I always appreciate in a book. And then the next book I've started, I haven't finished it. I have a feeling this book is going to take me like a hot minute to get through, but it's Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. I may have completely butchered her last name, which I apologize for. I love this book. It is amazing. It follows three women. Um, two of them are friends and then one of them is one of the women's daughters. It's amazing. The writing is incredible. It's written as it's almost like a spoken story, which I also really appreciate. There's no periods in this book, as far as I know. Like, everything is kind of, like, free form, no quotation. So, definitely a little bit different than our average normal book. But it's amazing. The plot's amazing. But it just follows three Black British women, which is, I think it's just, like, a interesting and different take than I think at least Americans are used to reading like African-American literature and narratives. This is about Black British women. It just tells a very different story and gives me a different like point of view to look at the world with it now. And they, the author also points out some differences between African-American women and British Black women. So I think it's a, it's a great read. I definitely recommend it. Um, I give Writers and Lovers probably a four out of five. I really love the writing and I connected to the characters. It's also like a really easy read. Like I, I blew through that book. Girl, Woman, Other already a five out of five. Um, definitely going to take me time to finish. That's all I have on my books. I've just realized I like... I love reading so much and it's so fun and I feel like I talk about books a lot but it's kind of how people talk about TV for me is how I talk about books because I honestly don't watch that much TV anymore which I think is a good thing. Maybe other people think is a bad thing. I don't really know. It's also interesting how people respond when I'm like oh yeah I like I read a lot instead of like what's your favorite TV show? I'm like, I don't really watch TV anymore. Um, I just read all the time, which I also watch YouTube. That's like definitely a guilty pleasure. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite new shows, which is The Politician. I guess it's not new because it's the second season that came out. So good. It's so over the top. I love it. Like very campy. It's Ryan Murphy, I'm pretty sure. It's a guy who did Glee in like American Horror Story. Pretty sure his name is Ryan Murphy, but it's really good over the top. I didn't like Glee personally. I know some people don't like when I say I don't like Glee, but I just didn't like it. Like if I need to watch it, like if someone needs me to watch it with them, like I will, but definitely not a show of first choice, not my show of preference but The Politician is very good. As I said in my last episode, I'm super interested in politics and like that's what I study. So I find the show entertaining also because it's so different than how actual politics works and like 
campaigns. Like, I've worked on two campaigns, and none of them get, like, the show has gotten. So, just keep that in mind if you're watching. I feel like you should know. But also, I've found a lot of people are just, like, out of touch with politics in general. But, like, the politician is not accurately reflective of our American political system. It's very exaggerated over the top, but it's really good. But that's like the literal only show I've watched. And then I've just read books in all of my other free time. I wanted to give an update also on my low buy. I still have that beautiful pink purse. It's, you know, on my bed right now, looking at me, I'm looking at it. It's really cute. I love it a lot. Um, but I haven't bought anything else. I'm very, very happy about that because I, I'm doing a low buy. Um, I'm happy because I'm doing a low buy and I don't want to buy anything else. I do already have my eye on something for my July purchase, which I think is going to be a new girlfriend set. They're coming out with their summer colors next week. I love, I love Girlfriend Collective. They're amazing. I definitely recommend them if you're looking for new workout wear. I, I can't, I can't say enough good things about them. They're just so amazing. They're made from recycled water bottles and they also, I'm pretty sure will like take back your leggings or like whatever you bought from them when you're done with them to recycle them, which is so amazing. So super sustainable brand, really cool, owned by women of color. And they are also just like so size inclusive and also like gender inclusive and really just like my favorite brand out there right now. So definitely recommend, but their new colors are coming out next week. They said the very end of June, which is next week. So I'm very excited. I'm definitely going to try to get my hands on some new bike shorts and a new Paloma bra because I'm obsessed with the Paloma bras and I'm also obsessed with bike shorts in general. I love bike shorts. I am coming to realize I wear them literally every day. And I'm a little sad because I know when I go back to Washington, it's just like not not going to be warm enough to wear them for that long. Like maybe into mid-September and then after that it's like nope time to pants on but you know for now when I'm in LA and it's you know over 80 degrees every day I will be wearing bike shorts all freaking summer long so that's my rant on bike shorts I think they're amazing oh also if you chafe bike shorts are like a chef's kiss for your thighs because then you don't chafe anymore and then you're not like crying in the middle of the street because like your thighs are bleeding because they chafe so much. I feel like if you guys have ever seen that episode of The Office where Andy, I think, yeah, Andy is like running and doing like a 5k and he's like, I can't do this. Like my nipples are going to chafe and you're all like my, his nipples, like how do your nipples chafe? I still don't know. I didn't know that was a thing. I still don't know if it is a real thing or if they just made it up. But anyways, like his nipples start bleeding and he starts crying and it's like really sad. But like that's how I feel when I chafe. So long story short, biker shorts are good if you got thick thighs like myself. Uh, lastly, on like a little updates before we like jump into the meat of the episode. I'm getting bangs. I know it's a very very controversial topic. 
I've wanted them for a while now. When I was younger, I was like, if I ever get bangs, like someone put me in a mental hospital, obviously something is just like not going right in my head for me to want bangs. But I feel like they're making a huge comeback this year. People are like, I've seen so many people with my hair type have them, which is why I was always against them because I have like curly, really thick hair. So I was like, it'll never look good on someone with my hair type, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm seeing a bunch of people with my hair type rocking it. Obviously, I'm not going to do like straight across bangs because that would look absolute trash on me. So we're going to do like a little fringe, a little, um, I'm keeping my middle part because I feel like that's a defining trait about me is my middle part. Um, but it's also because I don't look good with a side part. Or I don't know what other part you would do, but I I need my middle part. So I will be keeping that. They'll be like longer. It'll be cute. Made my appointment for July 8th because my hair place finally opened like last week, I think. So called yesterday, got an appointment. Very thrilled about that. Oh my God. Also, okay, I know I'm kind of going on with like updates, but I have been doing paddleboard yoga again, which is something I was really into when I was younger. Um, also just paddleboarding. I've been doing it since I was little, but I went to class today and I did a headstand on the paddleboard and I felt so cool and like honestly pretty, you know, famous in that moment. I was like, yeah. Um, and my instructor got a picture of it, so I'm definitely going to upload that because I want everyone to know that I can sit on my head on a board on the water because obviously it makes me superior. Um, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I still want people to think I'm cool and, you know, I do yoga and stuff, so the world will know. But yeah, let's let's move on to the bulk of the episode, which is reproductive rights and, uh, you know, standing up for yourself, saying what you gotta to get where you need to go. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so I kind of want to start with some facts just about, you know, maternal mortality rate, health care, reproductive health care in the United States. This is focused in the United States. I know other countries have very different reproductive rights, and a lot of countries perform better in maternal mortality rates compared to the United States, just like a preface. So I will be focusing in on the US. I actually did a human rights, I took a human rights course this past semester. And for our final, we like chose a human rights issue. So I chose reproductive rights in the United States. So getting my info from my research that I did for that. The scariest facts I found, I'm gonna talk about right now. The first one was about 700 women in the United States die due to pregnancy-related incidents every year, but 65% of those deaths were found to be preventable, which means, I don't know, 450 women should still be alive that die every year. If I did that math correctly, I'm not a math person, but I think I did it. So that's insane. And then... Another fact I found is that women of color, specifically black women, are, they tend to not be heard or believed when they complain about pain during childbirth, which can create a lot of like post-op problems. And that I think I'm pretty sure it's, from what I got from my sources, um, black women are three times more likely to 
die giving childbirth in comparison to white women. So there's obviously a race component to this. It's not just, oh, some women die in childbirth, because if that was the case, then we'd have equal numbers pretty much of like every different demographic of women who give birth that that would be dead every year. And that's just not the case that three, that black women are three times more likely to die. Like that just doesn't make sense, you know? Obviously, we got racism in healthcare. Who knew? Uh, yeah, we knew. Okay. Next fact is that follow-up care after giving birth is not adequate. So, like, even if you don't die when you give birth, your child can have a lot of birth defects or the mother will suffer in healing because the after-birth care is not adequate. Um, and also states just don't report enough on maternal mortality rates. So the number we have about now is about 700 women per year die. It could be a lot more than that. That's just how much the states are reporting on. So yeah, I found all this to be super, super, super interesting. And I read an article from the New York Times, which it's an amazing article if you have the chance to read it. I'm going to find the name for the article. It's by Linda Villarosa, and it's called Why America's Black Mothers and Babies Are in a Life or Death Crisis. And it was uh, written and posted in April of 2018. If you have the time, it's a really long article, but it's really good and eye-opening, especially if like anti-racist learning is new to you or just like learning outside of whiteness is new to you. It's a very good article to start with because it's like here are the facts, here are the issues, and then it does come with a somewhat resolution at the end, um, but it's also something like, if we want that to happen, we all have to work for it. So what Villarosa gives as a suggestion to what, you know, American women, African American women particularly should do in order to not die in childbirth, which also, like, is really fucked up. We should not have to, like, do outside things in order to not die while giving birth. I just want to, like, say that because this is awful and it's a human rights crime that the United States allows this to happen every year. It's really messed up. But what the author says is probably the way to, like, help less women die from childbirth every year is to give each woman a doula. If you don't know what a doula is, they're basically an advocate for women or anyone, I guess, who's giving birth. Um, because when you're giving birth, you're just like, I mean, I've never given birth, but what from what I've read and like heard and all that stuff, um, when you're giving birth, you like don't really also have energy to be like, I need this and I need that. Cause you're like is so in pain and like focusing on getting a human, a little human out of your tiny vagina, which I'm still concerned on how I will do that later in my life. Um, but you know, that's, that's besides the point, but oh my God. So basically doulas are necessary in helping women or anyone giving birth to advocate for them because it's really hard to advocate for yourself in general as a woman, but also when you are giving birth. Also, something interesting I found is a lot of women have C-sections that don't actually need C-sections. Um, I did a little further digging into this for my research project, but 
it was found that private hospitals are actually more likely to give c-sections because doctors are paid on you know how many births they're doing per day and a c-section is a lot faster than a natural birth because you don't have to go through all that labor when you can just cut someone open and you know plop the baby out and i i was a c-section baby that's because i was i was really late so i had to be one but when doulas are present it's found that c-sections are 39 percent less likely to happen meaning like about 39 to i would say 50 percent of c-sections are probably not necessary but women are pressured into them and especially when you're in so much pain giving birth I can assume it might be easy to be like, yes, just like do the C-section and get it out of me. Even though when you have a C-section, they cut into your stomach and kind of fucks up your stomach forever. Uh, my mom frequently mentions um, how her stomach has never been the same after two C-sections. And I do apologize on occasion when I'm feeling extra bad, but then I'm like, you wanted me, so uh, sorry, but really, doctors should be apologizing, even though my mom really did need them. Anyways, yeah, so it's insane. More women in America have C-sections than pretty much every other country. And it also just, like, doesn't make sense that women in America are most likely to die from childbirth than any other major country that's, you know, considered progressive. I don't like using the term first world because political community doesn't really use that language anymore, but I guess in the like advanced modern world countries, the United States ranks very close to last in child mortality rates. So it is really, really bad. But yeah, it's definitely, I think it's interesting that the suggestion for, you know, not dying during childbirth is to have a doula present, to have someone advocating for you. And I think it says a lot about our culture and how, like, women are generally, like, taught not to advocate for ourselves. So much so that we, you know, have to hire someone to provide the advocacy for us, especially when I can just imagine, like, when you're giving birth and you're in pain and you're outnumbered by medical staff, I'm sure, like, it would be really difficult to be like, no, I don't want a C-section. Because sometimes I can't, like, for myself, I can't even speak up sometimes in a doctor's office when they're like, does that hurt? And I'm like, no. And it and it does hurt. But I'm, like, too scared to say it, it does. <laughs> like, I don't know if other women, I'm assuming other women do this too, but also some of us don't ask for what we need in medical practices and in general, like, when we go to the doctor, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm gonna ask for this, this, and this before. And then um, I only get like half of those requests in. And then I have to go back to the doctor like a week later and be like, oh, by the way, I also forgot to ask for this because doctors will act very rushed and like you're taking up their time. And you know, which is also kind of frustrating because you're paying them and that's their job. Um, you're not, I don't know, some doctors act like either they're a robot or that you're wasting their time, and I don't think either of those responses to patients are okay. Like, one, we're paying for them to do medical stuff for us, obviously, and two, like, we are humans just like the doctor, you know? Like, we should be really, like, 
empathetic with patients and sympathetic and, you know, want to help them because it's more than just being a doctor. It's about being a good person. That's just my opinion. I've had experiences with lovely doctors that allow me to advocate for myself properly. And then I have some that treat me like I'm an idiot and don't let me advocate for myself properly. I also think it's important to talk about self-advocacy outside of just like going to the doctor and giving birth because there's a lot of uh, other stuff we do in our lives than that, uh, if, you, if you didn't know. For example, I find when I go to talk to professors on my own, especially male professors, surprise, surprise, I find it really hard to advocate for myself, especially if I feel I deserved a better grade on something or I want their feedback. Really in any context I talk to them, I find it a lot harder to advocate for myself. And I think that's partially due to the power dynamic between an adult male professor and a young female student. But I also think it's due to the fact that as women, we're just not raised to be vocal about what we want. A lot of us are more quiet and, you know, when we say what we want or what we need, we get called bitchy and annoying and rude. But when men do it, they're called like confident and courageous. So I think it's also just interesting how we talk about when women stand up for ourselves and advocate for ourselves. I also wanted to touch on how on how I feel women generally are taught more to advocate for ourselves through body language, which might sound super weird at first, but it makes total sense. As women, if I don't want to talk to someone, I'm going to physically turn away instead of saying like, no thanks. For example, today I went to the farmer's market and there were guys working stands kind of like yelling at me like, I have this, this, and this, fresh, blah, 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 and it's gluten-free or whatever crap. And I didn't want it. I personally, I, I went in to the farmer's market to get some cold pressed juice and a croissant. And I, I knew it. I didn't want anything else, okay? But instead of telling those guys like, no, not what I came for, but thanks. I was like, uh-huh. And then just like kind of walked away being like super dismissive and passive and just not necessarily the best advocacy or speaking my mind, trying to just protect myself and not put myself in harm's way. So like just being very quiet, turning around physically. I feel like we also do this when we don't like someone, or at least for me, I tend to cross my arms and be more defensive, I guess, uh, physically, instead of being like, I don't really enjoy your company and I'm going to leave now. I just become smaller and smaller and smaller. Like I make myself smaller, which I feel like a lot of other women do as well, even though if you've met me, I may be short, but I have very, very broad shoulders and I'm not, I'm not that tiny, okay? <laughs> but other than that rant on my physical looks, I think it's really, really important to start using our words as opposed to body language to say what we want because even with body language, there's so much like miscommunication that if you just said it with words, it would be a lot easier to get through. Like when I'm super anxious, I tend to shut down, not advocate for myself, make myself as small as possible. And in those moments, it's the most important to be vocal and be like, hey, this is what I need to do better or feel better or feel more confident in this situation. And I think there's 
a lot of good ways to practice self-advocacy. I've done it with a few professors I really have connected with and feel close with who I know will support me. So I think it's really important to find those people in your life who are wanting for you to do amazing and be the best person you can, which means speaking your mind and advocating for yourself when you need to. So if you, when you find those people, those people will be proud and supportive of you when you decide to advocate for yourself. So I've done that in a lot of class situations, just learning to advocate for myself to the professor and to my classmates and not shutting down. I also wanted to talk about kind of how not verbally advocating for yourself can be very ableist and we may not even notice that. But if you are neurodivergent, such as like have different learning disabilities or on the autism spectrum, it's really hard to read body language and really easy for people who are neurodivergent to miss those cues. Um, which if you are close friends with someone on the spectrum or you don't really need to be close friends or friends at all with anyone on the spectrum, but if they're in your class, they're not going to understand, or if you're in any social situation with them, you're not, they're not going to understand what you mean by body language. They may understand a bit of it, but it's kind of fuzzy and it just doesn't really make sense. And it doesn't even make sense to me. And I'm considered neurotypical. So I think it's important not only to advocate for ourselves through our words and language, to get what we want and be able to like articulate ourselves better than body language, but also because some people just don't read body language. And in that sense, like you kind of have to talk and be more vocal and be like, hey, I need this or I want this from you or I would appreciate yada, yada, yada. Like it's very easy to advocate for yourself in very kind ways. Um, you don't need to like attack anyone or anything, but doing it through body language is just so much more confusing for everyone involved. And also like as people who do that as myself and I do it sometimes still, like I don't get what I want when I try to advocate for myself through body language because it's not clear and it doesn't make sense. Um, and I think that's something that we need to teach all young people is like, if you want to, if you want anything in life, you're going to have to advocate for it. If you feel like you're being treated poorly in a situation or someone is like making you upset, you can't resort to body language and disappearing and not verbalizing how you feel and what you need to do and feel better. But we need to normalize being like, hey, like when you do this, it makes me feel like this. And I would appreciate if you could do X, Y, Z instead. Um, or when you go to the doctor's office, instead of looking confused and like they should keep questioning you or something, it's really easier to be like, hey, I came here today because of ABCD. And I know not everyone goes to the doctor for like 20 different problems, but you know, some of us do. And it's important to get all of those problems out in one time because you made the appointment, you showed up. So you should be able to get what you signed up for. And also just bringing it back to like maternal mortality rates. If women were also, it's not just a part of vocalizing and advocating for yourself, but about the people around you believing you and supporting you in that. And I think it's really important to find people who are supportive of you. Because like if you're in a friend group with people who are not 
supportive when you're trying to advocate for yourself, you're going to be taught over and over again that other people won't care either. And that's not the case. Um, you need to, it's so important to choose to surround yourself with people who support you when you advocate for yourself and support you in general and love you because that's also super important. Um, but I think it's necessary for when we advocate for ourselves for others to listen. And it's really sad that in some cases it means that like women are dying because they can't advocate for themselves in the moment or they don't have a doula or their doctors are awful. It's really shit. But I'm hoping from, you know, me just spewing nonsense for the past 20 minutes um, helps to make sense of this a little more. And if you're feeling like it's hard to advocate for yourself, like you're not alone in that, but also like there's so many ways to learn how to advocate better for yourself. Just like learning certain phrases, like I would like X, Y, and Z, or this is what I need. Those are really good statement starters if you need help or practice with that, but also like practicing to advocate for yourself with a friend or a mentor or someone like me. I advocate um, for myself with professors and sometimes it's more of practice with certain ones, but the more you advocate for yourself, the more likely you are to continue doing it. And the more you don't, the less likely you are. So I just wanted to bring this to everyone's attention who listens to this podcast because I think if, you know, we were all able to advocate and verbalize what we need, then we would probably be a lot better off. But also it's not just advocating and verbalizing what we need, it's having people who listen to us, as I said, and surrounding ourselves with really good people who want to support us. So, yeah, that was a lot. Um, also, I think the ideas of doulas are really cool and also should be implemented in other aspects of our lives. Like, obviously birthing is important and someone to help you advocate and help you stick to some people have really strict birthing plans and doctors will try to like skip over them and kind of cheat them and doulas are there to be like no this is how they said they wanted to give birth and this is how they're gonna do it and like you're not gonna rush them or take advantage of them in this moment when they're not feeling so good so i think that's really amazing that women do that and i would love to be a doula at some point i think that'd be really awesome um and i think it would be just really cool if there was a bigger focus on doulas because there's a big focus on people becoming doctors and people becoming nurses but like no focus on you should become a doula like that's not i don't think that's like a career path people view as being like as amazing and heroic as it is because like a doctor can do a lot of things, but if a doula advocates for you properly, they can also save your life. So, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, but I think doulas would also be helpful in other fields. Like if you're going in for an interview, there's other situations that I now can't think of. But like just having someone there, like a support person is really amazing. At my school, they allow us to have a support person to come into doctor's appointments with us. I don't think all doctors do that. They make, they have you have to be like family, but like when I get my blood taken, I'm so likely to pass out because I'm very anemic and stuff. And my mom comes with me when I'm home, but at school, like luckily, you know, my school allows one of my friends to come with me when I have to get blood taken. So basically what I'm getting at is it's always good to have a support person someone in your corner to advocate for you 
when you might not be able to in the moment, um, which is super valid. Like even when you go to talk to a professor, like I've gone with friends to talk to professors if they're not feeling so confident or even just like walking with a friend to like make a therapy appointment or do something that they're scared to do, but like they need to do it, you know, and you're like, okay, like, let's go. I'll I'll take you. Let's go. Um, I've done that a few times and it feels, it feels really great advocating and helping someone advocating for themselves. Um, I never really like to advocate for others unless I'm instructed to by them, but you can help people advocate for themselves in so many ways and be like, give them a pep talk before, or just like simply like being there with them as like a support human is super important. So wow, I've really just ranted about that for like a really long time. I think a doula is a great version of a support person that we can all be for our loved ones in our own lives. But that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, I'm super interested in in supporting women and helping them advocate for themselves. I like helping people. I like helping people do better and feel better all around. And I think when we can all advocate for ourselves, we'll really be able to feel better about ourselves all the time because we won't feel used. I feel like a lot of us, when we don't advocate, we feel either used Like someone took advantage of us, upset, angry because we're not getting what we want out of the situation. But also there's a lot of self-loathing too that comes with that. And which we're mad at ourselves for not self-advocating. Obviously self-advocating is a huge, it's a huge step in the right direction. um, And it's going to take a long time until, you know, we all feel confident to do it all the time. But it's also so important to do. And just, you know, benefits our well-being all around. I'm so out of breath right now. I get out of breath really easily. Don't know if you guys can tell that. Let me know if there's anything you guys want me to talk about in my future episodes. I'm trying to stick to every Monday uploading, which I probably won't do every single Monday for like the rest of eternity, but like most Mondays. So, you know, keep in and keep listening basically is what I'm trying to say. Uh, This one's a bit longer than the last one, but that's good. I hope you guys had a great time out to brunch with me. Obviously, like, talking about, like, reproductive justice and, like, self-advocacy, which is, like, so important and non-sarcastic is very, very important. (laughs) I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And come back next week to go out to brunch with me, Ruthie McBride, yet again. Thank you. Bye.